Okay, I want you to go to uh, Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to spend most of our time 3 and 4. We're going to be at the end of Malachi 3, and we're going to be at the beginning of Malachi 4. So in order to get there, we have to, I need to lay a little foundation for you because we are seeing one of the major signs of the time being played out right now in the body of Christ. Right before the Lord comes, the Bible says that many people will be asleep. He says that he's coming as a thief in the night, but not for those who are watching, but there will be a lot of people who will give up on the idea of the rapture. As a matter of fact, 1 Peter or 2 Peter chapter 3 deals a lot with this, and he actually calls them scoffers. He says that these scoffers will come in the last day saying, where is the promise of his coming? And unfortunately, we have lived in a time in Christendom where mainstream evangelical believers who've believed in the rapture their whole life have either stopped believing in the rapture or they think it's too scary to preach in a feel-good pulpit. And so they no longer want to preach on the rapture because they're just trying to give everybody perks all the time and pick-me-ups all the time. And I'm not against encouragement and pick-me-ups in the pulpit, but we also need some conviction in the pulpit if we're going to walk the path that the Lord wants us to walk. But the rapture is a comfort subject. It is not even a scary subject. It is the hope of the church. It is this great hope of the Lord coming back to redeem us, to take us to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And so we're living in this time where people have, uh, where people have stopped believing. Now, in, in 2 Peter 3, he's going to tell you two things are going to happen as a sign that Jesus is about to return. First of all, he said they're going to stop believing that God created the earth. How many of you have ever heard of evolution? Yeah, he said that in the last days, they're going to stop believing that God created the earth, and they're going to, start, they're going to substitute that with a fable. And that's exactly what we've done. We've taken God's creation story and substitute it with a theory. And then he said the other thing that they're going to do is they're going to stop believing that Jesus is going to return. They're going to say, I've heard that my whole life. That's kind of paraphrasing what he says there. I've heard that my whole life, and it's just not going to happen. So when we talk about the rapture, we are obeying what we heard last night in the sermon that said that there needs to be a voice of one crying out, behold, the Lord is coming. So that's what I want to do this morning. I want to obey that scripture and that sermon last night and be the voice of one crying out, behold, he comes. Now we're going to start in Malachi chapter 3. And we're going to begin reading in at the beginning of Malachi 3 where he announces the coming of the Lord. <clears throat> now you have to understand something. In this initial announcement in Malachi 3, he's talking not about the rapture. He will talk about the rapture in a moment. He's talking about the second coming of Jesus so he is basically speaking, now in case you don't understand this already, let me summarize Malachi, the whole book of Malachi for you. Malachi is a love letter. Malachi's first line reads this way, I love you, why don't you believe me? That's the very first sentence in Malachi. Malachi writes from the Lord, I love you, why don't you believe me? Malachi chapter 1. I can tell that some of you guys need to go home and preach this. As a matter of fact, let me just promote this. I didn't mean to promote this this morning. I have the whole teaching of Malachi right here, all four chapters. So if you want to go home and do this, Malachi chapter 1, the Lord says, I can tell you don't love me anymore by the way you worship. You're bringing me stale bread and lame animals. 
You used to worship. You wouldn't give that to your governor, but you're giving that to me. So Malachi 1 is, I can tell you don't act like you're in love by the way you worship. Malachi chapter 2, I can tell you're no longer in love anymore because of the way you treat your family. And that's the greatest gift I ever gave you. And the way you treat your family tells me that you don't understand what being in love is like anymore. And the fact that you can't love them is the reason that you can't love me. So if you loved me, you'd love them better. And if you love them better, you'd love me better. So Malachi chapter 2 is all about falling out of love with God and mistreating your family. And then he, and he's talking to ministers. He's talking to, to the Levite priest. That's what this love letter is to. So Malachi chapter 3 opens up with God saying, I can tell that you don't love me anymore because of the way you give. You're no longer generous. Your heart is not generous toward me. And I can watch the way you, I can just watch your generosity and see that you've become selfish. You've become a person who keeps everything for yourself and, and, and don't have a generous spirit. And then he ends chapter 3 and into chapter 4 by saying this, I can tell you're no longer in love anymore because you're more excited about me coming again than you are that I'm already here. The Lord says, I'm already here and you're not in love with the fact that I'm present. You're in love with the fact that you're in love with something in the future, but I'm already here. And that's Malachi chapter 4. So when you open up Malachi chapter 3 and the verse that we're going to start reading here in a moment, uh, he says in Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way for me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly, everybody say suddenly. He will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Now, he's talking about the millennial reign of Christ. He's talking about Jesus coming in and setting up the millennial kingdom at the second coming. Now, the reason he starts out this way is because the rapture revelation has not been revealed yet. We only see that in the New Testament because that revelation was given to the church. The church is not born yet. We're still in the Old Testament. We're still 400 years before Christ is born. We are still back at the end of the the Old Testament before the Maccabean Wars broke out 400 years before Christ and the Jewish people don't understand as a matter of fact do you know something else that Jewish people don't understand they don't understand heaven there's hardly any teaching in Judaism on heaven because in the Old Testament there's nothing about heaven did you realize that all the things we know about heaven we learn from the New Testament in the Old Testament, you have Daniel in chapter 7 who saw the courtroom of God. You have Ezekiel in chapter 1 who saw the chariot of the Lord and the, and the, 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 the sapphire throne of God. And you have Isaiah in Isaiah 6 who saw the Lord high and lifted up and his train fills the temple. So he saw the temple of the Lord. So we've seen God's throne in his temple. We've seen God's throne on the earth in Ezekiel chapter 1. And now we've seen God's courtroom in, in Daniel chapter 7. But other than that, there's only one teaching in Job and one in Isaiah that says the heaven is located in the north. That's all they knew. How would you like to be Jeremiah in the pit and you had, you had no knowledge of streets of gold and walls of jasper and gates of pearl? You have no knowledge of that. It had never been told yet. All they knew was there, there was that Christ was going to come back. You know what Jewish people are looking for? They're looking for one thing, the great resurrection. 
They believe that Messiah is coming to Jerusalem and there will be a great resurrection and all of the Jewish people who have died in the faith will come back to life and live in a millennial kingdom with the Lord. That's all they know. They don't know about the other things in heaven because that's all New Testament teaching. This program is brought to you by the partners of Brian Cutshaw and Church Trainer Ministries. Please help us pray that the Lord will continue to send us more partners so we can expand His kingdom around the world. You have to go with what we know about heaven and the rapture we learned later on. As a matter of fact, it wasn't until John was on the Isle of Patmos. By this time, all the disciples are dead. By this time, Paul the apostle is dead. All of the disciples are dead. So that means Peter, James, John. That means Matthew. That means Bartholomew. That means Thomas. All the disciples, none of them heard this either. None of them heard about this. They all died in the faith. That's what Hebrews 11 is about. They all died in the faith, not having received the promise. The apostle Paul got glimpses of heaven, even visited heaven. But it wasn't until John was on the Isle of Patmos that we even began to understand all of this. And the Isle of Patmos, just in case you're wondering, is not a vacation spot. It was a work camp. This is what the Isle of Patmos looked like in the time of John the Baptist or, or John the Apostle. He was sent there to a work camp to pick up rocks all day long. Now, think about this. It's 94 AD. Every disciple is dead. Every single disciple is dead. They've just tried to boil John in oil. They banished him to the Isle of Patmos. And here is God's retirement plan for this faithful disciple. He picks up a stone and he carries it and he drops it. And a Roman whip is across his back. He is an old man living out his retirement days in a concentration camp that is on the outskirts of Greece because of his message for the Lord. But here was John on the Isle of Patmos. And I don't know about you, but if I'd worked for the Lord and took care of his mother, John was the only one at the cross and he said behold your mother and John said yes I'll take care of Mary till she dies and he did if I had taken care of the Lord's mother and I was the only one that showed up at the cross and the only one besides well Peter and John showed up at the trial but Peter was hiding and John was with him John is the only one that stood up at the trial but Peter was hiding and denied Christ at the trial if I'd been John the beloved and done all of that I would I, I know you're not like this, but I'm probably not as spiritual as you are. I'm sure if I was on the Isle of Patmos, I would have probably complained a little bit. And I would have said, Lord, I can't believe after all of this that this is what I get. I was faithful. I'm the only one left. Everybody is dead. And here I am. This is your retirement plan for a prophet. This is your retirement plan for an apostle. But that's not what John did. The Bible said that John said, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day. And he heard behind him a loud voice and a trumpet saying, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Hallelujah. John was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And when you get him to Revelation chapter 4, he says there was a door that opened in the heavens and he heard a voice say, come up here. Now John is raptured in this moment. He does come back just like we're going to come back when we're raptured. But John gets raptured 
raptured in this moment. He's not in a trance. He's not in a vision. He's not having a dream. He is physically in heaven. And when he gets to heaven, he sees things that we can't, that none of us knew were there. When Jesus said, in my father's house are many mansions, do you know no one had ever said that before? That's the first time anybody even thought the father had a house. That's the first time anybody even recognized that there could be a mansion. But when John opened the door to heaven, he saw things that he brings back to us. He's the one that tells us that when he was in the spirit there was a throne in heaven and one who sat on the throne that was like an emerald stone all around him. He's the one that told us about the 24 elders around the throne casting their crowns at his feet. He's the one that told us about the hallelujah chorus. He is the one that told us about the mighty seraphim who have on the right the face of a lion, on the left the face of a calf ox, on the back, the face of a flying eagle, and in the front, the face of a man. Why like that? This is your worship. This is you worshiping in battle when everybody else has given up, but the lion side of you is you worshiping in battle. This is you worshiping in sacrifice. That's the sacrificial animal. This is when you could have given up, but you decided to lift up weary hands and praise him anyway. This is you worshiping in success. That's why the flying eagle has to be behind you. If you don't walk off from your success, you will worship your success. And before you know it, you'll be worshiping yourself instead of the one who gave you the success. So he puts it in back. And then in front is the man. And the man is walking by faith and not by sight. So in the front is the man who always walks with his face before the Lord. And it's John that saw these these seraphim and their ministry in heaven. And there he saw things that we can't imagine. He saw a heavenly choir. He was so impressed by this heavenly choir. He talked about it in chapter 4 and 5 and 7 and 14 and 15 and 19. Everywhere he went, he could hear angels singing. He couldn't count the number of the angels, so he said the number was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. He didn't know what that number was. I don't know what that number is, but he said these angels are innumerable, and they must have been singing every octave known to man and octave unknown to man. Oh, you heard three-part harmony here a few minutes ago, but in heaven, I think there's probably something like 50-part harmony. And there are harmonies that you can't imagine. They're augmenting the chords, and they're diminishing the chords, and I I can't even imagine how the angels are processing these words. But he heard it, and he was so messed up by it. Everywhere he looked, he walks around, he sees tables of food, he sees libraries of books, He sees streets of gold. He sees mountains. He sees trees. He sees a river of life. He sees horses that can fly. I can't wait to mount one of them. He sees horses that can fly. He sees angels that can fly. He sees concert halls and he sees great anthem theaters and he sees a real living, vibrant, operating city that's made of transparent gold. He tells us that there is no light in heaven because the glory of the Lamb lights up every corner of every room. He said you don't need a sun there and you don't need a lamp there and you don't need electricity there because the heaven is made of transparent gold which is like glass. He sees a sea of 
glass. He said, because of that, the glory of the sun just lights up everything. Everywhere you go, there's glory. You walk in glory. You sleep in glory. You don't sleep there, rather, but you eat in glory. You do eat there. Isn't that a good thing? We don't sleep there, but we do eat there. Think about that for a moment. That'll make you shout. So all these things he sees in heaven are going on. And then the Lord says, yes, but there's something else I've got to show you that know that you're not going to understand. You've got to remember that in 70 AD, Jerusalem was overtrodden by the Romans and every stone, no stone was left on top of the other. Jerusalem is rubble. Jerusalem is nothing but a pile of rubble. There is no Jerusalem. There are no citizens in Jerusalem. There are no people in Jerusalem. It is absolutely trodden down and forsaken. But the Lord told John, I'm going to show you Jerusalem. It's not going to look like what you thought it looked like. It's going to look like a city in the future. Now, if you see this, and David Kimbrell has stood with me on the top of the Mount of Olives, and we, I took this picture with my camera on the top of the Mount of Olives. So when you stand upon the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended and is coming back again, this is what you see. Now, I have put a big square around the eastern gate because all of the gates are open in Jerusalem with the exception of one, which is the eastern gate. And the Muslims own the eastern gate. It's right in front of the Dome of the Rock. And so the Muslims have blocked it up. They did two things to keep Jewish people out of there. They put a cemetery. That's what this is down here. This is a Muslim cemetery that you have to walk through. And they know Jewish boys will not walk through a Muslim cemetery. And they blocked up the eastern gate with mortar and brick and stone. And so it's blocked up all the way to the top. You know why they did that? Because there is an old prophecy hanging over Jerusalem that says one of these days a Jewish man will ride in on a white horse and he will come through this eastern gate and take over Jerusalem. And so the Muslims said there's no way that's going to happen on our watch. So we'll just make sure no Jewish boy will ever ride through this gate on a, on a white horse. But there is one problem with that gate. Do you know in all of Israel there's many fault lines which are earthquake fault lines but there's only one in the city of Jerusalem. Now if you go to the Mount of Olives right to the right you're going to see this really wide street that goes down the Mount of Olives and right to the eastern gate because they have created an extra wide road on that fault line in case it ever erupts they don't want their buildings to fall. So it's well marked. It's easy to find because there's this long, wide road that goes all the way down to the eastern gate. But what they don't realize is that's not the only prophecy. So John is, is in heaven, and the Lord says, I'm going to show you the future. I'm going to show you Jerusalem in the future. And, the, and, and all of a sudden, he saw the Lord riding on a white horse in the clouds. And the Bible says, as he wrote it, behold, he cometh with clouds and every eye shall see him. What do you mean every eye shall see him? Oh, he's going to sit there until every camera is shining on him. He's going to sit there until this flying horse and this man on a flying horse in a bloody shirt goes viral. Oh, they're going to be talking about it on every news station. They're going to say, folks, we hate to interrupt this broadcast, but there's a phenomenon happening that we can't understand. It's a UFO an unidentified flying object. There seems to be a Jewish man in
in a bloody shirt riding a white horse in the clouds over Jerusalem. We can't explain it. This is not a hoax. You're going to see it on ESPN. You're going to see it on CNN and Fox and ABC and NBC and whatever you listen to. It's going to start bleeping on your phones. It's going to go viral on social media because the Bible says every eye shall see him. So he's going to hang out there until everybody's looking. And when everybody's looking, he's going to ride that white horse down to this very spot where I took this picture. He's going to ride that horse down to the top of Mount of the Mount of Olives because the angel said in Acts 1, this same Jesus that you've seen taken up in like manner will come back as you've seen him go. And he's coming right back down to this very spot. So the Bible says that Jesus is going to ride that white horse and his horse is going to land on the Mount of Olives and then he gets off and as soon as he gets off can you just see that long-legged Judean prophet getting off of that horse and here's what the Bible says as soon as his feet touches Zion there is going to be an earthquake unlike Jerusalem has ever seen and there's only one fault line in Jerusalem as soon as his feet touches Zion there's going to be a crack in that old road and it's going to run right down through that eastern gate every rock is going to fall out every place is going to be separated and he's going to get back on that white horse and fulfill the words of the prophecy and ride into Jerusalem and say you try to keep me out but I am the king of kings and I am the lord of lords and I've come back to reclaim that which is mine hallelujah hallelujah oh he's not afraid of a Muslim cemetery because he conquered death hell and the grave on a cross and a resurrection 2,000 years ago and that is the scene that John gives us when we see the Lord coming back as king of kings and as Lord of Lords. So John tells us this in Revelation 9 that he's coming back with a vesture dipped in blood. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet burned like fine brass. His countenance was as the sun was shining in his strength. His hair was white like wool, as white as snow. He says and he had a sharp sword coming out of his mouth and there he comes back to fulfill the first part of Malachi chapter 3. All of that to say, behold, he's coming. That's all Malachi got. Thank you so much for supporting our ministry. If this has blessed you, please say a prayer for us. And if you would like to give, we have four ways that you can do that. You can give online at briancutshaw.com. Or if you're a PayPal user, just PayPal us at Church Trainer. Or you can also give through the mail at P.O. Box 267, Georgetown, Tennessee, 37336. Or if you're a Venmo user, you can Venmo us also at Church Trainer. Thank you, and God bless you. And may the Lord multiply your seed. Now back to Hope in the Word.